Wired into technology transformation, this is the Digital Bulletin Podcast. Hello and welcome to episode 29 of the Digital Bulletin Podcast. We hope this finds you well. Each month, we bring together a group of experts to debate important issues and topics from the world of technology. For this pod, we are investigating one of Gartner's top tech trends for this year, decision intelligence. Why is business decision-making becoming more complex? How can data and AI help business leaders with their decisions? And what does the future of decision intelligence really look like? These questions and more are debated by our brilliant panel, Alan Jacobson, Simone Larson, and Joe Dos Santos. Thank you, everybody, for joining us on today's panel. Now, I'd like to start with some introductions. Alan, can you can you start us off? Absolutely. I'm Alan Jacobson, the Chief Data and Analytic Officer at Alteryx. Uh, that basically gives me kind of three areas to focus on. One is internal data science, much like CDOs at probably most companies on the planet, helping our product team, marketing team, HR, legal teams, leveraging data to get the best outcomes they, they can. The second role I play is that Alteryx has a product that has data science in the product and occasionally data scientists are creating product, uh, data science uh, tools and, and, and whatnot with, within our platform. And then the third role is helping customers go on this great digital transformation journey, trying to figure out how to use data and analytics more effectively in their businesses. And so. Um, those are the three basic areas that, that I get to play in. It's great to be here today. And it's great to have you on, Alan. Um, Simone, let's hear from you. Hi, good afternoon, good morning, wherever you're joining from. I am Simone Larson. I am an AI evangelist at Dataiku. And what that means is I work with our customers to really help them see the big vision of scaling AI across the organization. And that may mean non-technical challenges, right, around not only AI transformation, but business transformation. Um, I'm also a thought leader on topics such as frugal AI and some of the far-reaching, more futuristic implications that AI will have, um, not only for organizations, but for humanity. Um, And I also really um, I'm invested in training and upskilling and enabling uh, the wider data organization. So I build a lot of content, I help coach, I help train. Um, and my background is with AI for the last couple of years. So I'm really excited to be here today. Thank you. Brilliant to have you on, Simone. And finally, Joe. Hi, I'm Joe Dos Santos, and I am the Chief Data and Analytics Officer at Click. And uh, I have kind of three things that I'm interested in doing. Number one, I think all CDOs are trying to get value out of data. So I lead a kind of cross-functional value creation exercise, and I lead some cross-functional teams to create uh, data science and more, even some kind of mundane kind of analytics to go and derive value. Uh, The second leg of that stool is governance. Uh, Can't have very good analytics unless you have a good governance program. And the third is the technology. So we're uh, kind of invested in moving all of our our technology to the cloud. And so I'm responsible for all the data analytics infrastructure here at Click. Great stuff, everyone, and really looking forward to today's discussion, which is going to be about decision intelligence. Now, this is one of Gartner's top tech trends for 2022, how business leaders make decisions, you know, fairly important stuff, and the role, obviously, data and artificial intelligence can have in supporting 
those decisions. We're going to get the experts' thoughts on the challenges decision-making presents to business leaders in, in today's enterprise, how better use of data and AI might help, and how businesses stand to benefit in the long run from adopting some of the more cutting-edge techniques and tools to make the right decisions. Now, Joe, we introduced you last. So I'm going to come to you first. Before we start getting techie, can I ask you, why do you think decision-making has become more kind of difficult and complex, do you think, in today's world? Well, I think, first of all, we're swimming in a lot more data. You know? So everything that you wear, everything that you have at your disposal is generating all of these different signals to the universe. And uh, you know, Fitbit isn't really in the business of making you more fit. It's in the business of selling your data to other people to do these different things. So everything from your watch to your devices to your phone are sending all of these different signals. And sometimes it's hard to make heads or tails of what all those things say. So there's a, an important part of this, such as about getting the data together. It's often contradictory. You know, in the, other, in the old days, it used to be pretty simple. My revenues are up, my revenues are down. And you had these kind of macro things. Now you have lots of competing, conflicting signals. And, uh, and decisions are much smaller, right? Like you you have human beings making decisions around what I want to buy right now. And, and the idea of trying to move from a kind of a descriptive world into a predictive world about what do I anticipate to happen? So there's a lot of things, more data, more sophisticated tooling to do the analytics, uh, more kind of sophistication that's required in terms of helping people to understand the kinds of decisions to make. And, uh, and I think a lot of uh, emphasis on it in literature, right? It's important and it's something everybody's trying to wrap their arms around, but it's not, not a trivially simple jump from uh, looking at my metrics from my dashboard and figuring out what I want to do next. Yes, Simone, I'm going to bring you you in here as well. We often look at, at data as the answer, but maybe Joe's hit on something there. You know, the amount of data we have can can make things a lot more complicated, can't it? Yes, it certainly can. And I think, you know, um, a lot of organizations are really massive powers, right? So if you think 50 years ago, um, organizations, even though they were large, were much smaller. Um, the scale and sometimes the economic power that large organizations brings mean that they have collected trillions, over trillions of data points, right? And what they do with that data, how they make sense with that data um, is often a challenge, right? So we've gone from talking about uh, data warehouses and data meshes um, and databases, but currently, you know, most large organizations can't make heads or tails or even figure out which questions to ask that data because there's so much of it that's being collected on a day-to-day -day basis, not even from only from an operational perspective, um, but how they also factor in and combine data sources that are external into one data source. That's often um, the easy part, and the hard part is making sense of the data and the questions they need to ask it. Alan, have you got anything you want to add to the points already raised? Yeah, I, I'd actually maybe go in a different direction. I mean, it's everyone talks about how data is getting bigger and more complex and decisions are needing more sources of data. The, the reality is businesses have had a ton of data for a long, long time and have used very little of it. So the fact that there's more of it that we're quite frankly not using, I don't actually think is what's making decision making harder. I was just uh, in a conversation with Yuval Noah Harari, who's the author of Sapiens and Homo Deus. Um, and, and I think the thing that really strikes me is how the world is changing faster now than ever before. Whether it's the business world or the world we all live in every day, um, it's changing faster. And that, that makes the need for making faster decisions, more frequent decisions, certainly um, is significant. But the whole horizon is changing. And so it's hard to make decisions about the future when 
the very profession that you might be in today may not even exist. The, the company that you're in may not exist. The half-life of companies is getting shorter and shorter. Um, and so I think that's actually at the crux of what is making decision-making very hard is the pace of change. Yeah. I think you've hit upon a really important point there, Alan. Look, we we are we are you know living generally in a, a more complex world. If you think about what a business has to to think about, what businesses have to think about, there are so many more things: sustainability, diversity and inclusion, employee well being, you know, the shift to remote work, and and that that fundamental change as well. Like there are so many just more decisions to make, aren't there? Yeah, I, I think that what you just kind of talked about is, um, you know, there was a time in which. Um, we didn't know things and there was a kind of liberation of not knowing. Right? So, um, and now in a world in which you can know things, everyone wants to kind of develop the killer algorithm that will start to increase revenue or decrease attrition or whatever that thing is. And, and there's a, there's a certain kind of, um, process that needs to come along with that. What if I told you that you had a nutrition problem that was all about, uh, women over 60. I'm not sure that you would want to know that or could know that or would be ethically involved. Like, what, what would you want to act on that, right? And this idea of having access to more information. And, and I agree with Alan. that it, I think there's an IDC study that came out last year that said people only have use 1% of the data that they have, right? And so I think the future of this is how do you make sure that people get access to more to solve the problems that they have the right way? And that's that goes from something simple to something that's kind of overwhelming. Like, how do you include ethics? How do you include a data ops? How do you include kind of a speed of decision making in your back office process to meet the timelines that Alan was talking about? Um, and we're not talking about taking six months in a boardroom to talk about whether or not to open up a plant. We're talking about you know three hours to decide whether or not we want to open up a new kind of product on an additional kind of sense. So you have to get a different kind of mindset to deal with the the types of data, the types of analytics, and types of decisions that are going to make that are that are different. One last point: I think that you need to get comfortable making mistakes. Like if you think about macro decisions, you can't make a mistake. If you open up a new product, that product needs to work. You've spent years doing it. You have to think a little bit more like, you know, Farmville, who used to change the color of the sky for 10% of their users. And it either worked or it didn't, but that failure kind of kept you moving. That's a that's a hard place for an executive to be in this kind of make smaller decisions and know full well that some of them might not work and be smart about your process and doing that. Absolutely. And I think when key decision makers, domain experts, they, they, they kind of know their space, need to make a rapid decision. Well, data and analytics frequently will be a part of it. Um, it is much easier to teach the domain expert how to do some level of data and analytics than it will be to actually teach a data science professional everything they need to know about the domain in order for them to make a good decision. And so the challenge is frequently on how do you how do you as a business domain expert uh, pick up these new skills? And that's part of the change that's happening in the world is that the expectation of data literacy and, and the ability to, to use analytics um, is certainly increasing and, and the pace at which you're expected to learn. You know, there was a point in time where everybody was on an abacus and then the calculator came along. We were on calculators for a pretty long time. Then there was like a spreadsheet technology that came, what, 30 years ago? And that was like a thing. And now the pace of change at the number of new techniques, algorithms, technologies that one is expected to be conversant with, whether it's knowing how to do better visualization or knowing how to manipulate, manipulate data more, uh, more capably, um, the pace of that is happening at an incredible rate right now. 
I want to bring you in here, Simone, as well. You're an evangelist and through your job title, so you, you'll know a lot about where employees are with things like data and AI. Like they, the guys spoke about data literacy there. Like, is, is that an important piece, do you think? That is definitely um, an important piece. And oftentimes it's not just the technical uh, parts of the organization, but also the business leaders, the line of business and PL owners who also need that data literacy skills. Um, and it's more than being reactive or proactive against the rapid pace of change, right? It's also around how do you stay relevant for the future, right? How do you ensure that you're future-proofing your role and future-proofing your job? It's no longer a point of, okay, so I'll just hand it over to my business analyst, they'll crunch the numbers, they'll do the visualizations, and it's served up in a platter. I think data literacy um, is key for any successful leader. And it's key for non-technical business uh, users as well, uh, away from the CDOs, away from the data engineering and data scientists. As an expert within that line of business, it's good to know how, how, how the numbers break down and what insights you can get uh, from the data as well. I love that point that Simone brings up, the idea of like, it's not the CDO that does the work. It's not the data scientist. It's kind of a cultural norm that you're trying to build. And I kind of think about it simply as, are we doing enough to encourage our leaders to ask why? We've, we've trained them over decades to ask what, what happened? What, what, what's going on? Describe to me. And I think that one of the things that, that uh, new analytics allow us to do is to really deep dive into certain things that help us to explore more why. So I think, uh, you know, Michael Hammer used to talk about, uh, you know, five whys, keep asking why, then ask why again, then ask why again. And I think that's what we want to start to do is to get people with domain expertise. It's a great point, Alan. It's not about the, the math. It's about domain expertise, understanding what drives your business, and then getting to the bottom of the conditions that are driving that and tweak them and change them to squeeze out more profit. I think, I think there's one thing I want to say about the pace of change, and sometimes it's also about balance. Um, if you're in a B2C market, um, that rapid pace of change and some of those decisions that you're making, oftentimes you need to also keep in mind that it affects a, a consumer. It affects, some, it affects someone uh, that is alive and willing. Um, and the, the positioning on ethics and responsible use of technology, particularly analytics and AI, um, is oftentimes championed, but not really ingrained in a lot of organizations. So for me, it's around the balance uh, with that pace of change. Really interesting stuff, everybody. I want to get your thoughts on on this term decision intelligence, because, you know, data led decision making is, is not a new concept, obviously. Decision intelligence, Gartner has recognized this term. Alan, what, what do you think is kind of folded in under that? I mean, certainly, certainly a new term for something that's been around for a long time. Um, so I, th I think we've been doing decision intelligence forever. I, I think we've, we've maybe our partners branded it with a, a new name. Um, but, but I think at, at the heart of, or the essence of what, what Gartner is getting at is that when we're making decisions, uh, do we have tools that are helping us quickly and easily provide insights to make and inform a better decision to be made? And you know, there are lots of different ways to do that from creating visualizations to um, actually attacking the data with AI and creating automated insights off of the data to simple prep and blend sorts of things and data quality uh, analysis of data. And, and these techniques have really been around for quite some time. These are not necessarily new techniques. I think um, what's happening in the industry is that we're 
we're productizing um, uh, more and more of the manual work and automating it so that not as many steps need to be done by the analysts, that it's, it's easier for them to do. Uh, at Alteryx, we just launched an auto insight product that is right at the heart of trying to help people uh, go on that journey. Um, but, but this really isn't a new concept. And I think, again, it all comes down to how do you take the knowledge workers of today and allow them to accelerate on their journey to leverage the data more effectively. And so um, I remember several years ago, we looked at you know, what percentage of organizations you know, ha have started to move past the spreadsheet. And now we don't think of it that way. We probably think of it more about what percentage of the knowledge work workers within an organization are going on the journey. So if you think of a, a large organization, um, you know, a company, is it 10% of their knowledge workers that can go beyond that spreadsheet? Is it 30%, 50%, 80%? What, you know, what, what is that kind of percentage of knowledge workers that have, have this kind of advanced capabilities? And I think these decisioning tools are helping open up that world to more and more folks. Joe, are you seeing, from your experience, business leaders making better decisions because of the tools that, that, that companies in, in the data space are providing? Well, that's the goal. <laughs> I, I really like Alan's point. You know, I, I kind of think that in the history of the universe, analytics has boiled down to three things. Uh, can I get the data? Can I make sense of the data? Can I do something useful with the data? And what is, you know, that, that's been true since, since we were living in caves. What's changed now is the method by which we want to actively reduce the time that it takes to get from one to the other. We want to decrease the time that it takes to get from, from data to action. And we also want to increase the certainty that we have around what's happening in that. Uh, Click calls that active intelligence. But it's, it's basically kind of all wrapped up in this. From a technology perspective, that probably means moving to the cloud. That means kind of having access to things that are spin things up and spin things down so you don't spend the first three weeks trying to get a server up and running for your for your work. From a governance perspective, it means having ac accurate access to data, Googleifying your enterprise, right? So you can find what you need when it comes time to do that decision. And then it has, comes down to having the tooling and the process by which you can actually iterate quickly through those uh, hypotheses and go, I wonder if this is true. Nope. I wonder if this is true. Nope. I wonder if this is true. That's worth $10 million. So, so I think if you can get those things in place, if you can get the right architecture in place, the right data ops and process in place, you can make better, faster decisions that are more granular and more prescriptive and much more targeted, as opposed to trying to make macro things like, I think we should do more business in Europe. Right? And I think that's where we were even 10 years ago with data warehouses. The fidelity of data wasn't allowing us to, to kind of get to the degree of granularity that helps us make much more, um, much more concise and directed and targeted decisions in our, organ in our businesses to course correct as opposed to kind of flail to the left and right as we go through. Is it around reducing kind of make the making of bad decisions as well, Joe, making sure that the decisions we do make are the, the right ones? Is that part of it as well, would you say? Well, I think uh, I think I'm, I'm of two minds on this. I think, number one, I think we need to make more bad decisions. What we need to do is to make smaller bad decisions. I think it's important for us as we start to get to our customers that we have this culture of experimentation that allows us to understand with A-B testing what our customers prefer. And sometimes, by definition, A and B will not perform the same and the Bs will lose sometimes, the As will lose sometimes, right? But we need to start thinking about decisions as not a zero-sum game. They are, they are analytic experimentations that we do in a very safe and ethical way. I really like Simone's point around embedding the ethics in terms of how we do things. 
Um, but in some respects, what we're trying to do is to make smaller decisions with more certainty, more experimentation, so that when we get the ones that matter, we they really make a, a big difference. And if you think about it, like the, the name brands that we think about, the Netflix and the Amazon, they focus on key individual decisions. What do you want to buy next? What movie do you want to buy next? And if you really kind of focus on those things, you can start to really get granular, granular uh, data and analytics around those decisions to improve the outcome of those. So if you kind of really dig into these use cases and develop the spirit of, of interest and enthusiasm around the analytics around those moments, I think that's kind of how we want to start to think about decision making as opposed to simple dashboards that get you know sent around after board meetings on a monthly basis. Find us as Digital Bulletin on LinkedIn, Facebook and Instagram and at Digi underscore Bulletin on Twitter. Simone, I'm going to bring you in again here. Joe mentioned some of the, the technologies that you know businesses should be adopting if, if they want to get serious about this, cloud being one. What about AI? What role do you think AI has in decision intelligence? I mean, it has a it has a huge role. I wanted to just touch on something Joe mentioned in terms of how Netflix and some of the Googles and Amazons their precision with, I guess, predicting what you'll buy next. Fundamentally, AI is good at three things, right? It's that prediction, it's optimization, and it's imitation. And I think if we move away from the dashboards using Joe's examples and really figure out how can we apply these techniques and these specialisms to gain business insight, but also help increase a bottom line for an organization, uh, that's helpful. Um, in terms of tools and techniques, AI is definitely one that can accelerate that, right? Um, we are no longer in an age where it takes months and years to develop and deploy an algorithm um, with the right cloud infrastructure, with the right stack uh, for an organization, it's come quite easier to test and iterate um, the application of AI in use cases. Um, and I think it's quite important for organizations to go on that AI journey. Some of the proven techniques, such as prediction, as long as they have the data, but also the outcome data, can help them accelerate uh, the application of AI in a safe manner. Um, obviously, with the layer of governance and MLOps in the loop, once um, a, a model is set out into the wild, right? Because oftentimes, as a model is living and breathing out in production, we need to make sure that it's not drifting and doing things that it wasn't intended to do um, in the first instance. So I think, yes, AI can enable that. I think given um, the small scope of what AI is really, really good at, um, if you apply those with the right tools and techniques and infrastructure, uh, organizations can be well on their way. Alan, is that something that you have seen as well from, from your experience with customers? Yeah, I mean, I, I think the angle that I think of this or the lens that I think of this through is, look, AI and ML have been around for over a decade. There's, you know, this, this is not really new technology. What's really changing is the way that it's in effect being packaged. So now with low code and no code drag and drop methods, people are able to, again, democratize the analytics and have more people participating and going on the journey. I mean, the very companies that we're talking about are companies that use Alteryx regularly. And, and while they have ways of coding, they also have tools that are low code and no code to enable them to really accelerate and go fast and, and have more people participate. And that's really the trend that I see that's been changing kind of across the globe is not the AI algorithm itself, not the use of AI. Again, that's not terribly new, um, but I think it's newer seeing an accountant use it 
or the auditor use it um, or a marketing professional use it as opposed to it being a PhD data scientist or an IT professional kind of writing an algorithm um, in, a, in a code first kind of a way. And I think that's a huge transition that we're seeing um, that's that's really accelerating right now. And that, that's what headline writers like me call the democratization of AI, Alan. Um, Joe, is that, is that something you, you would agree with Simone and Alan on? Yeah, I, I really like Alan's point around the um, the ability of especially auto ML tools to do some of the heavy lifting for a person, right? And one of the things that has advanced a lot in terms of AI development is the lack of a black box. You know, only a, a five, 10 years ago, we were talking about the dangers of AI because I couldn't see what was inside that algorithm and what it was concluding. And there are all these horror stories about AIs that could, that could only tell the difference between a wolf and a dog because there was snow in the background, right? And, and right now what's happening is I think that there's a lot more interest in terms of understanding what's under the covers. And so these low code solutions will then propose to you. Um, I think that the attrition that you have is based on the plan that you're in, the demographic, the geography, and it starts to recommend these different features that make somebody more productive. So they make a person who has business acumen uh, capable of understanding the correlations that are in the business without having to know calculus, without having to know Python. And I think that that is going to be the game changer for how AI will be adopted more ubiquitously in an organization. That's a relevant point, and I think it's more than um, the low code, uh, the no code from a democratization perspective. Um, it's about taking an entire organization on a journey with transparency and reuse. So what's being done in marketing um, should be visible to what's being done in finance. Um, and not only visibility and transparency, but being able to reuse data products, right? So it'll be great to not have to build an algorithm from scratch, right? Because it's been proven, it's been tested, it's been living out in production or in the wild, as I like to call it, for some time now. So it's all around uh, reuse to achieve that economy of scale, right? If you think of even low-code or no-code users, as well as data scientists, constantly having to rebuild a model, not from scratch, right? I'm sure there's um, portions of it they can leverage. Um, I think there is value in reuse and there's value in transparency across the organization of data products that are being built uh, and deployed into production. That is such an important point, you know, so we were talking about the reduction of time to get from data to value. So what could reduce that time it, more than making it zero by the fact that somebody else already figured that out? Right? What a colossal waste of time when people have to recalculate and refigure out something that somebody else already figured out months and years ago. So I think that's exactly right. The idea of thinking about analytics and data as products that have that have breath and life into themselves that can be accessible via catalog to a series of analytical users so that we don't make the same mistakes over and over again, that we can capitalize on the work of other people. I think that's a really good point, Simone. Joe, a term you um, used earlier, business acumen, kind of stuck in my mind because I'm, I'm I'm beginning to think what role do humans have in this future of de decision intelligence? You know, are we moving towards a world where business leaders are are going to have their decisions made for them, or is there still a place for for human intuition? Alan, I'm going to come to you. Yeah, I I think actually the hardest piece of this is not the data science and and learning the tech of how to do analytics that's actually easy um I've, I've got a 13 and a 15 year old they're ultra certified they, they can do pretty complex analytics drag and drop no problem um 
computer vision, NLP, like that's just not hard. That's like middle school level stuff. We use fancy terms. We make it sometimes probably seem too inaccessible by all the fancy terminology that we use. But at the end of the day, most of the concepts are actually relatively basic. Domain knowledge takes a long time. I mean, if you want to be a, a, a NASA rocket scientist, um, it's going to take you a little while. You want to win a Formula One race, you're going to be, you know, honing your craft. And so when I see how, how Alteryx is really affecting companies, it's usually in, in that area. It's, it's an F1 race team trying to win a race on the weekend. And fundamentally, they need answers instantaneously using data with domain expertise. And, you know, yes, we, we, could, we could send them 100 data scientists, but that, that ain't going to do it. Uh, what we really have to do is take their race experts and teach them how to use simple and easy tools that will allow them to very quickly get to the core of, of what they need to do. And that doesn't mean that they're not, you know, super sharp, analytically minded folks. I mean, the rocket scientists at NASA who also use Alteryx, they, they fundamentally, you know, they're doing mission planning. Um, again, drag and drop really fast. The analytics aren't the thing that's slowing them down. Um, and they can really focus on on their knowledge, their business acumen, and their expertise. And I, I think more and more we're seeing that that you know if what we required is all of those people had to learn how to how to code in Python, and, and they were they were basically building software, they would have effectively two jobs, and, and that's that's untenable. And so that's really the shift that I see happening is opening it up so that people can leverage their business acumen. And by the way, this this isn't new. I mean, the cholera outbreak back over a hundred some years ago was solved with data science, John Snow and a visualization that's very famous. And fundamentally that was data science, but it was, it was an obstetrician basically doing the data science. And he was using his, his knowledge of, of, of how diseases spread. And yes, with a little bit of statistics mixed in, but that was like the easy add on to, to his medical profession and degree that was really the heart of what enabled him to do that. And over time, we've seen that again and again, that you give a domain expert a little bit of data science, a little bit of analytics, and they can change the world. Simone, what do you think of we as human beings still got a vital role to play? 100%. Um, and to echo Alan's um, point around that domain expertise, right? So it's also around the contextualization of a problem. Um, so if you to solve i don't know a predictive maintenance uh, challenge for um, a faulty escalator it's really figuring out you know the conditions around how you would monitor what good looks like right and it's the domain expert that would have that institutional knowledge um, i also find sometimes what plays into um, a leveling of the playing field between domain experts and data scientists is their operating model so there are the data science teams operating model, right? You can go from centralized to decentralized to hub and spoke. And I find like it's when a data science team or outfit is embedded within a business unit, they both learn, right? So the ha having a dedicated team that's focused on a specific challenge such as marketing and spending their time on that challenge means that not only do the domain experts get upskilled in perhaps some data science techniques um, and AI, but conversely as well, right? So humans will never go, in, go out of style because um, we are always needed to provide that contextualization. So I, I have a, a story 
that um, it's kind of folklore in the analytics circle, but it breathes life to your question, Ben. So there's a, a, a story about a, a mobile carrier that was experiencing some attrition, and they hired some data scientists to go look at some factors that were driving that attrition. And after a couple of weeks, this data scientist said, get, get the group together. I found it. I have the answer. I know exactly what's causing the problem. And he got 15 executives in the room and flashed up a screen that said, every single time that this indicator turns from N to Y, 96% of customers will be gone within the next six months. And there's a sheepish hand that went up in the back room and said, that's the deceased flag. So it turns out that, yeah, when people die, they 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 quit their plan. And the a different question is, what happened to the other 4%, right? And so I think that that is this, this contextualization that Simone is talking about. Sometimes you get data that is not helpful. Sometimes you get data that is not meaningful. Sometimes you get data that's not ethical to use. And that contextualization of how a human being would interact, so the machine should do the heavy lifting and figure out, I think that this might be useful. And we need to start thinking about this idea. Those are, from a technical term, we would call those features. Those are algorithm features. We need to get our business people kind of comfortable with the idea of talking about, is this relevant? Is this usable? Is this ethical in the context of this algorithm? That's the role of the human being. At Click, we call that augmented intelligence, right? Let the machines do what the, what the machines do best. Repetitive um, and, and deterministic and, and dependable and reliable at speed and volume. We let humans do what they can do with respect to their subject matter expertise that they bring to their respective business and process. Guys, it's been really brilliant to get your thoughts and insights on this topic. I think on a final point, I want to say, you know, well, first of all, you guys have established that decision intelligence is, you know, probably just a buzzword for things that have been happening for quite a long time, but it kind of that 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 really hints at a, a bigger question. You know, this is work, data work that has been happening for many years. We're on this journey with technologies like AI and you know augmented intelligence, terms like this, things like this happening. It, what, where where do we go? What, what is there an end game here, or is this just a continually evolving beast? Um, Alan, let's go to you. It's certainly a continually evolving uh, uh, area. Um, I think one of the things that's very exciting to me is. If I went to a conference maybe 15, 20 years ago, everyone wanted to talk about how big their data was. And then if I went to the same conferences maybe seven years ago, um, everyone wanted to talk about how fancy their algorithm was. I'm using deep learning. I'm using, right? It was, it was a different conversation. So it went from I have terabytes or petabytes of data to I'm using deep learning and neural networks. Like that was the, that, that was the, the hype, the buzz. And now what's really interesting is when you go to that same conference, I feel like what's happening now is people are actually talking about true business impact. Who saved the most money? Who's transformed? Who, who helped solve the current pandemic that we're in? Talk about your use cases that helped make life better through a pandemic. And, and that's really exciting to see this evolution um, from, you know, from how big is your data to how big a problem are you actually solving? And it turns out with many of the solutions that are happening today, um, it's not done by the person with the fanciest degree. It's done by the person with the most domain knowledge. It's not done with the biggest data set. Frequently, big problems are solved with small data. And it's frequently not done with the fanciest algorithm. And you know, for me, that's really exciting to see uh, that we're now getting into the brass tacks of let's change the world. So really, it's all about outcomes, which is what it should really be about, isn't it? Um, Simone, have you got anything to throw in? Yeah, I think uh, it's definitely going to be a 
constant evolution. Um, I have also seen perhaps more so the transition from big data to deep learning to specialized AI models to the democratization angle we're at currently. Um, I'd also like to see um, cross-technology applications, right? AI doesn't live on its own, right? There is a flashup between IoT and AI, um, immersive and AI, and 5G and AI. So I'd be keen, and I'm sure we'll get to a point where when we talk about AI um, and business outcomes and decision-making, it's also around bigger topics such as digital twins. Right, uh, such as how can a layer of intelligence fit into a cross-technology application uh, of technology? I really like Alan's point about the journey, right, where where things are maturing, and I think that that's pretty conventional. Like when there are big breakthroughs in something, it always starts off with some PhD student at MIT or Caltech developing some kind of hardcore method that would require other PhDs or other hardcore coders. And then over time, you start to break through, like think about how Hadoop came to be to conquer the big data problem and then how few people could actually use it. And then what happens is that you get these complexities that become abstracted and easier for the masses to use. We're there. Like that's what Alan is describing that's so exciting is that all of these things that used to be super complex and you'd need 14 unicorns in a pen to actually be able to use, you can now have citizen data scientists really making an impact, right? So I think that there are very few excuses for not making more of these decisions. Where I think we're headed is going to be, if you start to kind of take the analytics world and you start to combine it with what's happening in 5G, wearables and different kinds of things like that, what we're going to start to see is that these decisions will start to leave the four uh, walls of rooms. They will start to appear in your goggles and they will start to appear in your glasses and they will start to appear more liberally in your phone. They will follow you around as these things happen, which will you know, introduce a whole different kind of concept around how, how comfortable do you feel like that? And what's, what's the balance between useful and creepy in those contexts, right? But I think that's where we're headed. I think Alan's point is exactly right. The friction has reduced dramatically. Simone brought in the concept of the CDO becoming an important role in organizations that wasn't even really there beyond just a handful of companies 10 years ago, which introduces reusable reusability. You've got focus, you've got reusability, you've got accessibility, and now it just comes down to operating model and process. Thank you to Alan Jacobson, Simone Larson, and Joe Dos Santos for giving us their time and insights on this really interesting topic. All three are true experts in their field, and I hope you enjoyed the discussion. We'll be back next month with another panel, another topic, and another podcast for you, listener. Until then, take care and goodbye. That was the Digital Bulletin Podcast. Listen and subscribe to a range of podcasts on Spotify, Apple Podcasts, and Stitcher. Plug in for news, features, and case studies on the very latest in enterprise technology and digital transformation.